have you join with us as New City Church this morning. We are excited and filled with joy that Jesus is our King and that we get to worship Him through song, through prayer, and through the Word of God and through joining together and encouraging one another today. Um, if you are new here and this is your first or second or third or fourth or fifth time here and you're not yet, if you don't have one of these mugs, basically, uh, or haven't been here for quite a while, uh, we'd like to invite you. You can fill out one of these Connect cards that are on the table up here uh, later on during communion and offering and that sort of thing. You can grab one, fill it out, and if you drop it in the box, uh, one of these will appear in your hand shortly after. Uh, but we'd love to give you this free gift. We have some out there with some kind of info about who we are as a church and love to help you get connected to a gospel community. So throughout the week, we have a slide that just says this, but uh, throughout the week, our gospel communities live life together as the people of God uh, throughout our neighborhoods of San Diego. Right now, we have about five gospel communities spread around the city, always looking to multiply those and make disciples in those communities. Um, sorry, Matt, I went out of order of the announcement kind of slides. Uh, next, I want to talk about a ministry opportunity that we have been uh, trying to hammer home, trying to reiterate week after week, but this is, still exists as an opportunity for you to serve in the nursery or preschool, uh, especially preschool. We could use a couple more people to, uh, to step up and either be helpers, which means you don't have to teach, but, uh, or be a teacher if you'd like to teach. Um, and sign up for that. You can... Uh, Again, you can use a Connect card for that, and that way we just ha know that you're wanting to do that, and we'll get you through kind of the application process. Uh, the next thing we have is um, a slide that says Restored Church. This is not the gathering of Restored Church, but next week, guess what? They're going to join us here. So Restored Church is uh, a sister church, some friends of ours here in San Diego. I actually, just before I came here, went to their gathering and announced that they're going to join us next week and then zoomed over here to preach today. So Restored Church will about quadruple our size next week, and so that we'll, we'll try to fill this thing up with them. And again, that provides even more opportunity to serve in the nursery and preschool next week if you want to get on board with that quickly. Uh, but Restored Church will be joining us. Uh, they meet just off Adams Avenue. Uh, so what kind of practically prompted it, wow, alliteration, uh, was that they have a street fair going on on Adams Avenue next Sunday. And they won't be able to like park or get around the area. So they want to come join us. They, they ask themselves, where is a church that we trust, that is centered on the gospel, that we can join during that Sunday? And they thought of us, and we're honored that they want, to join, they want to join us next week. So some of their people will be leading us in music, and we'll be continuing to walk through Nehemiah together with them because the next chapter, chapter 3, is about people throughout the city doing their part to build the wall. So I, I think that's fitting. We're spread throughout the city. They're a like-minded church, and uh, they're going to join us next Sunday. So I'm excited about that. Uh, after that, we have just a couple more things. Do we have the, is the video kind of the next thing? So I know we talked about this last week, but just watch this video again about giving through our new tool called MoGive. Introducing text giving, powered by MoGive. With TextGiving, you can now use your mobile device to support us, whether you're here in person or hundreds of miles away. It's simple, fast, and secure. Just text the amount you want to give to our mobile giving address. Following your first gift, you'll be sent a link to set up your mobile giving account. Follow the instructions to provide your payment information and activate your account. It will take less than two minutes. It's that easy. 
The next time you want to give, simply text any dollar amount to our mobile giving address and confirm your gift with the letter Y for yes. You're now ready to give anytime, anywhere, in any amount. So I did that this week. I posted about it on Facebook, but I gave via text this week just to try it out. It actually works, and it's pretty fun. So uh, you can give as little as a dollar, as much as you want. Did you have a question or a comment? If, if you have an Android, um, I'll refrain from other comments, but you can still <laughs> use your Android. In fact, you can use... Uh, Really, you can text message from anything that'll send a text message to an email address. That's what it is. It's like the address is New City, so not my church at Mogive. Is that right? There are flyers here with the information. It's New City at MOGIV.com. And you can grab this if you want to learn how to do that. We're still using PayPal for the iPad giving up here. If you want to give that way, you can give online. We are using MoGive for our website. You can, of course, always give from cash, check, that kind of thing. So we want to provide as many tools uh, to give because you know, that's the way our world works today is how many of you carry around checkbooks? Yeah, Tom does. Okay, so, But not your company checkbook, your, your personal checkbook. So yeah, I, I think I write like three checks a year and uh, they're all the Christian organizations who haven't made it easy yet. So um, the next slide we have is something else, uh, which is talking about our budget. So there's just an update on that. Um, we're kind of almost made it last month with our budget, and uh, this month we're about halfway there, or a little over halfway there. So I just wanted to share those things with you as we get started. If you would, open up your Bibles now, or an app. There's at least two more Bibles up here if you don't have one. And uh, just so you always know, if you don't own a Bible, these are free to take. You're allowed to have one of these, keep it as your own, because the Word of God is vastly important in our lives. So the book of Nehemiah, if you do have one of these, we're on page 343 in chapter 2, 342, 343. Uh, it's Nehemiah chapter 2. It's about there, so a little less than halfway, uh, before the book of Psalms in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. We're continuing the series, uh, going pretty quickly through this book. It has, I think, 13 chapters, and we're doing about a chapter a week, uh, some weeks, and uh, this week we're going to finish up, this, so we're going to do kind of the second half of chapter two, and next week we should look into chapter three, which is long, but it's a, kind of a, one of those list chapters, of groups of people. So, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9 through 20 is where we're going to go. But before we read that together, I want to start out. Uh, and First of all, uh, I want to tell you a little story about uh, a time where I got to work on rebuilding something. And when uh, my wife and I got married back in 2000, so 14 and a half years ago, uh, we got married. But we actually closed on, like bought our first house together uh, just a couple weeks before we actually were married. So we owned this house, and we decided pretty quickly that we wanted to remodel the kitchen because, you know, nothing's better for the first year of marriage than remodeling a house. And so we, we started, you know, with, with gusto, and we uh, decided also we were going to move the sink from one wall to another. We were going to brick in a doorway. I mean, it was just horrible plan. So, like, to, to move the sink from one wall to another, you have to move the drain and the piping. And on a slab... That basically meant I'd have to jackhammer a line across the slab. Um, 
which we didn't even end up filling in. So great structural integrity in that house now. Uh, but we, we got into this, and for almost a year, we were cooking with our oven, like a wall oven, you know, so not even the drop-in range, like one that's supposed to be in a cabinet, about yay high, sitting on the f- floor of the kitchen with just a wire like hooking it up, like with big uh, wire nuts on it. So it's just like sitting in the kitchen, un- uninstalled, very dangerous, uh, with massive amounts of electricity there, uh, just kind of rigged up so that we could cook something. And uh, that's about how our remodel went throughout the whole time. We finished it just before we sold the house a couple years later. Uh, but I am obviously then a, a great pro at kind of counting the cost and really considering all the details before I get to work on something is the point there, right? Some of us struggle with that from time to time. Some of us are better at that than others, but if you've ever either even been around construction, you know that even the best cost counters run into things they didn't plan on, right? Or the client changes things along the way is usually what happens. And so when you're both the client and the contractor, it's a mess, oftentimes. And that's what happened. Well, today we're looking at Nehemiah at that front end of this huge, massive undertaking of rebuilding basically a city. He's rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And uh, as he gets to work, he works with dedication and in the proper ways. And on that front, I came across this week a blog post on a wonderful website called theartofmanliness.com. How many of you are familiar with that site? Okay. Now I know who the real men are in, in our congregation. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's a, it's a neat, kind of fun, kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of about gentlemanliness and beards and learning how to sharpen your pocket knife with, like, your shoe or something. But um, it's called The Art of Manliness. And here's a few work posters from the 20s and 30s, these kind of motivational posters for work. So the first one, that's not my job, a sure way not to get ahead. That's a great one. I, I worked for AT&T for almost nine years, and one of the guys who worked with me, he said, you know what, for the amount they pay us, I'd push a peanut across the parking lot with my nose, and without saying that's not my job. And that was, I think, a great work attitude, wasn't it? Like, they pay us a ridiculous amount of money to, most of the day, sit around and wait for the next order. So this is a, a great attitude to have when we work, right? Uh, the next one, here, there, here and there leads nowhere. Stick and make a job of it. Now today, like in the tech world, especially if you stick out one job, people will be like, what's wrong with him? Why didn't he switch careers every four years, right? But in the 20s and 30s, this was the way. And in fact, even back in 2001, when I started working at AT AT&T, almost all the guys who were there had been there for 30 plus years. They thought they were going to retire, and then 2001 happened, and they didn't retire and stayed around and just continued to build their 401ks. But this was the attitude, right? And this is still important when we do a job. Not necessarily that career-wise it's not as important as it used to be, but you want to stick with a job, right? The next one says, knock the chip off your own shoulder. There's a dozen who want to help you to one who wants to hinder you. Friendliness makes the work easier. I love how explicit and instructive their posters were back then. Like, you know, today we're like, more than three words can't possibly read it. I don't even think this fits in a tweet. Uh, So... Knock the chip off your own shoulder. And this actually applies a little bit to our story in Nehemiah. Uh, There were a couple guys that we'll read about, a few guys who were definitely uh, set themselves up against the work of God and against Nehemiah. They were his enemies. Uh, But uh, there were, for uh, every one who wanted to hinder him, dozens who were for the work that God had called them to. And so Nehemiah was 
the poster boy for these things. Uh, he, I don't know about his friendliness, but uh, he knocked the chip off his own shoulder. So the next one is anybody can tear down. To build requires planning, teamwork, and proper effort. Progress depends on men who build, right? So who does progress depend on? Who is that again? Men who build. Right, yes. Well, obviously, hopefully it's obvious to you, that you are in a church gathering, and we are not going to attribute everything's dependence and progress in our hearts and in the life of the church. It's not just on men who build, but you can say the man who builds us, Jesus Christ, right? So we're going to answer a little bit today, like what are these kind of attitudes, these hard work, stick to it, dedicate yourself, count the cost. What does this kind of uh, work ethic have to do with the gospel? Because the gospel is not about just this work ethic of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do a better job, friendliness wins the day, progress depends on men who work hard, right? That's not what the gospel is about. So let's read this passage and then dive into What does this have to do with the gospel? Nehemiah 2, starting in verse 9. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. So the king was behind this rebuilding effort. The king had given Nehemiah everything he needed. But when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So right off the bat, they haven't even begun work, and they have enemies. They have people set against the work of God. So I went to Jerusalem, verse 11 says, and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem, There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night to the valley gate, to the dragon spring, and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. So he got off his animal, right? Walked up. Did even, you know, he didn't just go where it was easy. I went up to by, in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. 
What a great attitude, huh? The people of Israel, when Nehemiah is sharing with them, that's who he's saying this to. He's saying to the people and the priests and the people who are going to do the work, he says, look at the city of God and how it's in ruins. This is the place that matters to God geographically. So let us rebuild it. It is in ruins. Its gates have been burned. It's been sitting in this state for too long. This cannot be. This does not honor God. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So this is that pre-work work, right? When you're getting ready to build, it's the survey of the land. It's the inspection of what the state of things is that he is about He's setting himself about, Nehemiah is in this passage. And we have, as we've been in this book, we've been equating the rebuilding that Nehemiah was called to, to the rebuilding, or the lifting up, or the inspiring, or the equipping, the deploying of new city, us, the people of God, in this city of San Diego and beyond. This is the work that we are set out to do, is to be built up by God and by one another, to to be the the people of God in this place. Jesus came and he said that people would no longer need to go to places like Jerusalem or to other holy places to worship, but we get to worship in spirit and truth, that we are this residence, this dwelling, the city of God as the people of God. And so Nehemiah for us today One of the main ways that that we are applying this book to us today is is in our rebuilding. We had a a ridiculously tough summer as a church, right? Some of us faced things that we never in a million years would ever wish on our enemies, let alone see ourselves. And, And others of us carried that load and are carrying that load with one another, but we want God to do a new work and to reinvigorate and re-inspire and refill us with joy in a new way so that we might go into our city and be a blessing and make disciples, right? And so we're going to unpack how this passage is for us in that, about the beginning of the actual labor, the first steps of surveying the land, the job at hand. And we're going to unpack that in a, in a law and gospel sort of outline. Uh, some of you have heard me preach a few weeks ago, at, and uh, I went through a passage in Thessalonians, kind of used this same outline, law, gospel, and uh, I'll explain that in a little bit. But let me ask you first, and this is where you can actually speak back, you know, speak loudly so everyone can hear. It's not, a, it's not a huge group, but it's a big room. So let me ask you, what does it mean for the church of Jesus Christ to be built up or to be restored? When you think of that, what do you think of? What kinds of things? Growth in what ways? Yeah. In every aspect of growth. The number of people, the everything. Yeah. David. Um, I think about 
Yeah, everybody with a different role, but operating together as one structure, as living stones. Yeah. So as different people come on board and, and or different of us, are, different ones of us are, even our hearts are able to, to, to fully express the ways that God has made us and the things he's put on our hearts. Maybe we weren't able to express it before, but now he's encouraged us to. And so those areas of service uh, arise within the church as it's built up. Yeah. What else does it mean? Greater outreach. Greater outreach. So a larger impact among those who don't yet know Jesus in our city. Yeah. What else? Any other thoughts about what it means for the church to be built up, to be restored? Marco? Yeah, people turning, us turning from immorality, from things we know are wrong to what is good and right. Yeah. Katie? Yeah, be a beautiful uh, picture of what God wants us to look like, a beautiful expression of the body of Christ. Beautiful, that's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, trusting in God instead of relying on our own works. Yeah, that's huge. So, let's let's listen up for, for a little bit. Let's dig into... Uh, a few minutes, how that will happen. I think those are all wonderful things, and we're going to look at the beginnings of that happening among us. Because God loves each and every single one of you here. Loves you with an immense love, and He wants to use you to do all of that. All of that beautiful ministry and outreach and building up and expressing the gospel. All that love sharing that we just described, he wants to use you, the people of God, to see that happen. And um, so we're going to dive in this, into this together. But I'm going to just explain again a little bit of this law and gospel idea before we get into it. Uh, first of all, I, wanna, I want you to see this passage through this pattern, but also I want you to see every passage of Scripture through this pattern of law and gospel. We can unpack that all day long, but we're going to narrow this down a little bit just for this passage. But first of all, what does the law say to us? What, is, what does the law tell us? Do this, right? The law says do this or don't do this. And God's law, I want to say, is wonderful and beautiful and worth cherishing. It is, it is wonderful instruction. It is worth treasuring with all of your heart and all of your life. It is sweeter than honey. And yet, if you just stay with the instruction of God's law, can any of us live up to it? No, none of us. So we'll be crushed by the weight of it if that's all we have is law. But the gospel says, Jesus did. He did this, is what the gospel says. And by gospel, I don't mean just a general idea of what's true and good, but a specific idea of the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what I mean by gospel. 
And if you skip over the, the commands of God and what God desires for us, his instruction for the best way to live under his care and protection, which is the law, if we skip over the law and just go to, this is what Jesus did, then, then we shortcut the depth of the good news and the rescue that the gospel is. We shortcut, like, this is all that it would be to live perfectly, and isn't it good news that Jesus empowers you to do that? If we skip the, all, this is all what it is, and it's like, I'm not sure if it's good news. It's different news, but is it good news? And then this, the gospel saves us and empowers us to do what? To obey. So it kind of comes full circle in a way, but it's, it's no longer just doing what's right because we should try harder to do it, but it's doing what is good and beautiful because now we have been freed to live in that way by, and are, are full of the power of the Holy Spirit, of God himself. So we're going to unpack that pattern in this passage. The law shows us our problems. The gospel solves those problems. And the Spirit empowers us to then obey. It's one way to put it. So let's look at what this verse, what this passage says to do. What are the commands? Don't go to the list yet. Because I want to ask you guys, and sometimes it's hard to dig out of a narrative or a story. Like last time I preached in this pattern, it was, uh, that verse had four specific commands. It was like, do this, do this, do this, don't do this. That was easy, but this is a story. So let me ask you, I think you can do this. I think you, you guys are smart, you're bright people, right? Um, what good things do we see Nehemiah do that we should emulate, that we should imitate? And obviously I've referenced a bunch of these already, but he is steadfast, okay? Goes forward in the face of opposition, absolutely. Sylvia? Okay. He waited to see what God had put in on his heart to do. He didn't just act without listening to God, absolutely. What else? He repented? Yeah, he repented. He was a good leader? How so? Yeah, he communicated well. Probably with a British accent because people follow guys with British accents better, right? No. He communicated well, though. He, he said, this is what the king says. This is what our God says. This is, this is where we're going. And he called people to obedience like a good leader does, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I, I narrowed this down for today's purposes. There's many of these things we can unpack, but I have just, just three that we're going to go through a little bit today in this kind of law and gospel way. So on the next one, we have count the cost, get off your animal, and leave no stone unturned. Right? So uh, count the cost. Um, sorry, I'll bring you back in. Count the cost. Luke 18, 24, Jesus himself says, For which of you desiring to build a tower, because we all build towers very often, right? Does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. That's what we do. If we're going to build a tower, we count 
the cost first, right? If you're going to build a house, if you're going to remodel the kitchen and do it wisely, you'll count the cost. If you're going to do anything, if you're going to set out to do what God has called you to do, you must count the cost or you will not be able to finish what God has called you to. You'll run out of provision. Proverbs 20.25 says it is a snare to say rashly it is holy or to say, yeah, let's go do this basically is what it's saying there and to reflect only after making vows. So we need to reflect as he did. He went around. He saw, he, he saw everything that needed to be done. He knew what the cost was, and he asked for that provision according to what needed to be done. He counted the cost like a good leader does. If we don't count the cost, we will run into to unexpected troubles and be unprepared, right? And as God seeks to do something through us, if we do not count the cost ahead of time, if we do not consider and reflect and go to God in prayer and discuss with one another and good, good counsel, we will shortchange our, ourselves and it will, is foolish to go forward in that way. Secondly, he got off of his donkey, right? He was riding around with his animal, and when it came too difficult, and he, it required him to, to make changes in the way he was going about, he got off, and he went forward on foot, and he did the hard work. So this is another way of saying just he worked hard when hard work was required, and you can fill in the blank with the word you want to use. Uh, he thirdly, he left no stone unturned. He left no stone unturned. This is kind of a proverbial statement we use, right? But quite literally, Nehemiah did not leave any piece of the wall, any gate, any stone that needed to be put back in place unturned. He, He didn't say, well, I can just assume that because that's the cost in this area, we'll just project it onto the rest of the work we need to do. He thoroughly, thoroughly examined the entire perimeter of the city of Jerusalem. That's what this is describing. If you go and you pull up a map, which you know, we're not going to do right now, but you can go find a Bible atlas or a study Bible and just look at a map of Jerusalem. You'll find a map that, of Nehemiah going around. This is what this is describing to these different gates and these different parts of the wall that need to be rebuilt. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about this for us as the church 1 Corinthians 6 says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? I love how Paul says things like that. Don't you know you're going to judge the world? Of course we all know that, right? Now, you may not know that, but you are the people of God going to be the judges of the world. Whatever that exactly and specifically means, in the new kingdom and the new earth, we will, be, we will judge the world. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? That's pretty incredible, right? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? So this is just talking about this is the spiritual reality of rebuilding, of, of reconciliation among one another. When there's disputes, when there's detailed little things, and we think we need to go to some special person to get help with it. 
Paul is saying, no, you are the people who are going to judge angels. Can't you settle disputes amongst one another? Can't you ask someone in your DNA group, someone in your gospel community, someone in the people of God, say, you have the Holy Spirit. Can you speak into this for us? Can you look at the details? Can you turn over the stones that need to be turned to help us be built up? We are called to leave no stone unturned in the rebuilding of the people of God, to not ignore where there's conflict and when there's division arising, when there is a need for judging trivial matters amongst one another. Does that make sense? This is what we're called to, is to leave no stone unturned both in this kind of spiritual reality that is the people of God, us as living stones. And wouldn't it be wonderful Wouldn't it be a a beautiful thing if all of us could consistently and be constantly dedicated to whatever task is at hand? If all of us had perfect focus, that would be beautiful, wouldn't it? If we all counted the cost before every commitment we made, we always under-promised and over-delivered, right? Wouldn't that make a great gospel community? What if none of us missed a single detail? We remembered every birthday, every anniversary, every favorite food, and we took action to bless one another with those things, those details that we knew about one another. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And then when the time came, none of us sat there, but we all got off our donkeys and did the work that was required. We, we got out of our houses, out of our cars, onto the streets of San Diego, and blessed one another and blessed our city when the time came. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't that make for a great church beyond all compare? Well, I'm not there yet. I don't know about you, but if one of us isn't there, then none of us are there because we're one together. And so we're not quite there yet, and we need a solution to this, don't we? Well, the solution is always the same when it comes to the law and gospel. And what is that solution? Jesus. All right, so we can close there, right? Don't have to explain that. No, we're going to unpack what that means, that there is always an answer, and it's always because Jesus. We can do this. God can call us to this. He can put these stories as great examples before us because Jesus fulfills them. Whenever there's a command, there's always a because Jesus. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus, says that he did. And again, I want to reiterate, because he can never say it enough. We don't want to compromise what the gospel is. By the gospel, I mean the good news of the person and the work of Jesus Christ who came ushering in his kingdom to free the captives Heal the sick, raise the dead, and make all things new. By his atoning death on a cross and his death-defeating resurrection from the dead that we just sang about. That's what I mean by the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes The gospel is accessible and it is freely given to everyone who believes to save you from what you have done, to save you from the struggles of this life today, and to save you forever with Jesus. 
freely accessible. So all that we're talking about here that God provides for us in the gospel, if your faith is not yet in Jesus Christ right now, you are invited to place your faith in him and receive these blessings and every spiritual blessing by putting your faith in Jesus because we live by faith in Jesus Christ. From day one to our last day as Christians, we live by faith in the gospel. So what does the gospel say in this passage or in response to this passage? First of all, the gospel says that he is the cost. When we talk about counting the cost, we can say with confidence in the gospel that Jesus is my cost. The cost that I owe, the expense, the debt that I owe to God in order to be built up again, to be raised from the dead, is paid by Jesus himself. He is my cost. So when we count the cost of being rebuilt, ultimately the cost has been paid by Jesus. He's not calling us to fix our own hearts, to repair our own hearts, to raise one another and to to raise other people from the dead. He said, I've paid the cost for that on the cross and it is finished were his last words on the cross. Jesus is my cost. Jesus did the work. He rode his animal into town and they laid down palm branches before him as the king of kings and they worshipped him like never before when he rode into this, play, this city, right? And they, they worshipped him and they wanted to honor him and they thought, many of them thought that he was coming for a political rescue from Roman rule but instead he got down off his animal, humbled himself and showed that he is a better king than any king. He gave his own life for us. And thirdly, this one was the one that really hit our hearts together as a team of elders as we were praying through this passage this week. Jesus leaves no stone unturned. So as we read this passage in our elder meeting this week and we began to pray in response to it, Uh, The thing that God put on, on more than one of our hearts at the exact same moment was that His Spirit searches every single broken down piece of your heart and of my heart. And His Spirit will leave no stone unturned in His rebuilding of your life and your restoration As an individual and as the people of God, Jesus leaves no stone unturned. There is no single, just even even the darkest corner that right now probably comes to your mind as I mention this. That darkest corner of your heart that you believe is, is unspeakable even to Jesus. The thing that you think there is no way even God can rescue and rebuild that part of my heart. He will rebuild. He is that faithful. As Tom put it, and I even put a quote, the great Tom Fine said, God, you search the streets of our hearts for what is broken. Reflect right now. Consider Maybe even bow your heads and pray. I pray over us. And we'll just take a minute of silence because I really want to pause here and consider 
What parts of your heart, what parts of your life and relationship with others, maybe even what parts of this congregation do you, when you think of, of certain things that are less than perfect, you think, I'm not sure Jesus can address that. Or maybe you didn't think of it explicitly that way, but you've been thinking, there's not really much hope for that to change. Father, reveal those parts of our hearts and our relationships and our life as a body. That we have been almost hiding from you as though you couldn't bear the sight of its brokenness let alone repair it. Open our eyes to see right now that you came just for that reason, to save what was lost, to repair what is broken. Father, by your Spirit, convict us right now of our unbelief Show us where we think our hurts are bigger than your grace. Where our addictions are beyond your ability to pull us away from and rescue us from. And God, some of us kind of believe you can fix things, but we're really angry at you for your timeline in doing it. So help us right now to let go of our timeline and to instead linger with you and plead with you and listen to you when it comes to your timing as you restore our hearts and our lives and our relationships. God, I pray that your restoring work will be like that, that deep inhale and exhale that we forget to take throughout our weeks. It fills the, the parts of our lungs that, with air that go unused. Pray that the good news of the gospel will like light in darkness, penetrate those corners that we thought would be dark forever and begin a process of healing, of rebuilding, and of restoration. And we pray this by faith, but we need help in our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, amen. I hope that God is revealing to you where he wants to rebuild your heart and your relationships and your life. I'll read a couple, just a couple passages about, from Scripture, from the New Testament, about God's desire to save us. Titus 3, 5 and 6 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, by according, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, 
whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our Father pours out on us his Holy Spirit richly, not with stinginess, not withholding, but he pours out the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit richly. In Ephesians 2, 17 on says, And he came and preached to you who were far off. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, you, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If you go back to the story of God and this imagery of a temple and a dwelling place for God, there was no skimping on materials or generosity and what this was built of. There was no cutting corners. There was no, I know he says to use cedar, but we'll just kind of use pine, right? Like this was the holy place where no corner was to be cut, no material was to be cheapened because it is beautiful and wonderful and that's what we are being built into. God is not looking at us as cheap and crooked two-by-fours that you would never use to build your own house, but he is looking at us as the most beautifully crafted materials worthy of his dwelling in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he is working in us right now to make us that way. In this passage in Ephesians 2, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you our fellow citizens with the saints. When I see saints, I think of the saints who've gone on before us. The Bible tells us that when we gather together in worship, we are surrounded by a, a cloud of witnesses. Do you know that? Do you believe that? That when we gather here, though there may be a little scattering of us in this big room, we are surrounded by this massive cloud of witnesses who rejoice every time every one of us even, any one of us even softens our heart towards the gospel a little iota. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, no matter how poorly or well it's done, the saints that have gone on before us rejoice because the good news of Jesus is the good news of Jesus is the good news of Jesus. And heart change is heart change is heart change. And we are being made and, and have a standing before God as those kinds of perfected people who've gone on before us. That's how God sees you. Not as just incomplete and in need of repair, but he sees you because his spirit is in you and Jesus has redeemed you as perfect, perfect and being perfected. And one day he will make you perfect. He will leave no stone unturned and that is good news. I know it's good news for me because I have many stones 
that I thought could never be turned, many areas of, of kind of the walls of my life that I thought would be broken forever, and Jesus is freeing me. He's freeing me from anger and bitterness in situations where I thought there was no freedom. He's freed me from, from loving myself and he continues to free me from being obsessed with my own ways and instead is, is moving and inching my heart day by day closer to, to that pure love that we see in the person of Jesus Christ. And he is doing that in every person's life who walks by faith. He leaves no stone unturned by his Spirit. I hope you're getting, like, just the beauty of this that we rejoiced in this week as we had our elder meeting and as this kind of just struck my heart. This, is, this can be so motivating for us as we rebuild, as God rebuilds us and as we set our hands to do the work he's called us to. So lastly, his spirit then frees us to obey. He frees us to do these things. He frees us to count no cost too high. When it comes to serving, when it comes to, to being built up and building one another up, there is no cost too high because just our down payment, the Spirit, did you know the Spirit of God in you is referred to as a down payment? God Himself takes up residence in you, and the Bible says that's just a down payment a reserve of your heart for him, a reserve, just a, just a piece of, of what you will get someday as you see him face to face in the new heavens and the new earth. So if you have God himself in you as a down payment, is there any cost too high as we serve the king? No. And because my king got off of his animal, got off of his donkey, I, and, and lowered and humbled himself, I am then freed from the pride that keeps me on mine, that keeps me sitting on my rear, thinking that I am too busy, too good, too important, too tired, too weak, too whatever it is that's about me to serve you. Because my king lowered himself, humbled himself to the point of death. He freed me from pride, from any pride that would keep me from serving you. And lastly, just that as it relates to, to the leaving no stone unturned, his work in our heart, his work in your life and in my life, the work that Jesus is setting on now by His Spirit is so much more beautiful and wonderful and important than our actions, our to-do lists. So we're free to serve others generously and patiently. I'm free to leave no stone unturned in our relationship because Jesus is leaving no stone unturned in my heart. I can look at even a conflict between us or a, a difficult task that I want to set out arm in arm with somebody. I can look at it, the mountain that lies before us and say, that is huge. I don't know what we're going to do about it. But then turn to God and, and he reminds me that because of the good news of Jesus Christ leaving no stone unturned, he will empower us and equip us to get through it to the other side.
No matter what my kind of action item to-do list is, he has freed me to even sometimes walk away from that to serve you with humility, generosity, and patience because his work in our lives is so much more important than those things, and he is working nonstop in our lives. We're free to rest. We're free to trust that he is working and that his work is more important than any action item list we could come up with. So I know I've been a little bit like kind of loud and intense for the size of the, room, of, of the group, but um, I want us to now to, to celebrate the good news of all this by taking communion. So up here and over there is some matzah and some juice. And you're invited to come up uh, and join together with some other people. If your faith is in Christ, if you're part of the body, come up and take a piece of the bread, which represents Christ's body, or which represents, another way to put it, is Christ's righteous life lived for you on your behalf. All, the good, all this good stuff Nehemiah did, Jesus did it even better. And if your faith is in him, he gives you that goodness and that righteousness by his, his body. Is, his righteousness is imputed to you. It's given to you on the cross. And you dip that in the, the juice, which reminds us of his blood. And his blood washes, remember I read that? The washing of regeneration by his spirit. We remember that his blood cleanses us from our disobedience, from our filthiness, from our laziness, from our unwillingness to bend, from our pride. All these failures to live up to the law, his blood cleanses us of. And we get to remember that together. So as you come, share with one another. Maybe even share, a, the, as we prayed, like the part of your heart that you, or your life that you thought God can't rebuild. Or even now, you don't believe God can rebuild. And maybe someone can, can share with you the good news that Jesus can rebuild that part of your life. But stand together and share your gospel need with one another. And even if, if your faith isn't yet in Christ, I'd invite you to come and uh, not, not participate in the act of communion, but even just listen in. Hear how the gospel is at work in our lives as the people of God. Does that make sense as instruction? All right. And we're going to close with that. That's how we have been ending our services together. That's kind of our, our closing is we're going to spend a, a decent amount of time doing that. Um, but, but don't take off because what we are going to do kind of after the service is over basically is we're going to pray for a couple that um, has already moved, right? Just kind of back for a week? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so um, Jim and Sandy are, are here with us today, but um, are moving to San Francisco. And so we're going to pray and kind of rejoice slash mourn uh, the loss of their presence among us, uh, but, but pray for them and, and what God might have for them as they move. And uh, did you say something? Sorry. I thought I heard a noise over there. Um, but we're going to pray for them after we take communion. So stick around and we'll join together and pray for you all. Um, let me pray over us as we take communion together. Uh, Jesus, the gospel is good news. It is wonderful news. And I pray that anything that I said today that is in line with the good news and that proclaims the good news 
will come to heart right now and we'll remember it, but not just right now, all week, so that we can live in gratitude to your grace. God, soften our hard-heartedness right now so that we can share our gospel need with one another. And even put on some of our hearts uh, specific words that, that other people need to hear as encouragements in the good news. We are very forgetful people, Lord. I mean, we, we forget some huge moments in life. Some of us forget dates of the most important things in our lives often, but we definitely day in and day out struggle to remember that we have been cleansed from our former sins. So I thank you for setting up this reminder. And thank you for putting on our hearts together as a church that we participate in this every week, this reminder of the body and blood of Jesus. Help us to remember on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday what we participate in now in communion. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So just in your own time, come up together as gospel communities, as friends, as neighbors, as DNA groups. And uh, if your faith is in Christ, participate in this together.